There we go. Boom. 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 Duncan. Hello, friend. Thank you so much for joining me today. You have Man, no idea I, how much this means to me. Thanks for having me. Well, honestly, I'm really, I've been looking forward to it, and I feel like I owe you an apology because I, I agreed to be on your show quite some time ago. And um, circumstance, moving, blah, blah, blah. It, may, it just put a lot of time in between. I completely uh, get it. You know, you're, you're forgiven 100%. Thank you, brother. So a couple things that I wanted to touch on today. Okay. The first thing I wanted to say, I missed my chance to say it in the way that I want to say it because of the whole setup thing. In the words of Jim Carrey, uh, I was concerned about going into the world doing something bigger than myself until somebody smarter than myself made me realize that there's nothing bigger than myself. For me, that person was you. Oh, thank you. I'm very grateful for that. So I just ah, wanted to say wonderful. thank you, first of all. Thank you. Um, I, I know we just started by talking about how difficult podcasting is, but let's talk about podcasting a little bit more. Okay. Um, I know your sort of origin, how you got into it, but like, what, what made you decide you wanted to keep pushing on with it? Was it something that like you just felt was, this is great, I have to keep doing this? Or was it like, did you feel like an urge that you just needed to tell a message or something to somebody? Well, never a message. I try to avoid that because I think any anytime intentionality gets too wound up in it, I become less spontaneous. And so the more intentionality, the more technical it gets, the more technical it gets, the more there's stammers and stumbles and confusion. So I try not to think too much about messaging and stuff like that, but mm. I love it. I love conversations and you know, initially that, that was the, that was what I was digging about it was that it formalizes conversation. So it produces the unique situation in which you're having just a formal conversation with somebody, which it, you know, used to just be the, I think probably the way it was like you would sit down and have tea. That's yeah. what they, you know, you'd have this like ritualistic formal kind of conversation, but now because of technology, we've got a little bit of signal jamming happening, meaning that if you're around someone, quite often they're looking at their phone, there's distraction, you know what I mean? They're lost in the particular like chaos of Maya. And so uh, it, I began to realize like, holy shit, I'm getting to have these great conversations. And then after doing it for a little bit, I realized, oh wow, these conversations are like transformative and I'm learning things. And you know what I mean? Like that, that they're, uh, you know, it's. It's like any other great thing. If you do it over time, you realize that it's actually shifting your consciousness. And so then that became the second thing that I love about it. So that, that to me, that's will always be like why I love podcasting. Yeah, I mean, I was very introverted, like um, for my teen years and up to my 20s. Uh, and But I started like having friends over and conversation was just like the key thing i'd be like oh hey check out this stuff and i'd show them something and then we'd have a conversation all about that topic or whatever and when COVID hit that left me like dry for conversation and like just longing just you know interaction and yeah. so i had to i had to do something i've had rec recommendations before my friends have gone you know you know enough about this kind of subject to start a podcast or whatever and i was just like i'm i'm, I'm kind of a all over the place kind of dude i got interests in like you know i paint i listen to a lot of music i i prefer to be a listener of music but i do also make a lot of music so wow. i mean there's a lot going on with me but i don't 
I don't necessarily have a lot of uh, practice in any any one given thing. I just say, hey, I'm going to make something with this. And then, you know. So the podcast for me was kind of like it had been suggested before and I had equipment enough to do it. But I was like, I, didn't, I don't want to, you know, single myself out to one specific topic. So I got to yeah. find something that's going to let me spread myself, you know. And right. sort of creativity, as I've been approaching spirituality, has just been the thing to me that stood out the most is, um, you know, you, you can spread creativity on anything. It's not like butter. You can spread it on uh, on paper. You can spread it on music. You can spread it in the air. You can you can just about spread creativity anywhere. Yes. And uh, you're not going to spread it too thin. So it's the, it's the it was my choice to sort of stick with creativity as sort of my topic and that okay branches out into like science and uh you know any 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 given thing to be honest yeah. but i feel like the, the the spiritual path that i've been walking down and again i say it it's mainly because of you um i wouldn't say it's completely because of you because before i knew who you were when i was very young i'd have like what people might call like sort of an epiphany or whatever every once in a while yeah. and sort of realize realization like i can remember being very 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 young like six or seven and I, i'm a big beatles fan cool and i i would stand outside and i'd look up at the sky and i think i'm breathing the same air as paul mccartney is right yeah now. it's the right. same air and it that's cool one thing that i found <laughs> myself I'd, I'd constantly come back to thinking that kind of thing and uh realizing it's not just it's not as simple as uh, understanding that you are on the same planet. You know, um, a yeah. lot of my life I was told, uh, I, I was, my mom was Catholic and my dad was uh, sort of raised agnostic. Um, my babysitter was a Christian who not only attended church, but like went to, uh, she dropped us off at a daycare center where they had like, uh, you know, sort of like a Sunday school daycare center. They'd teach, like, uh, prayers and stuff. So it was, like, interesting on my end from t t to view God or something as, like, a person that was watching you or something. Yeah. When I sort of understood it as more of just existence, existence made more sense to me than there's a man watching you and he's judging your, mm. you know, what you're doing and things like that. So what do you mean? Like existence is synonymous with the attention of the divine, like existence and the attention of God are, are the same. I was going to build to this, but you got me dragged into it now. Okay. Um, as far as what I can tell from existence is, is that uh, it's shared. It's uh, like you exist and I exist. But we don't both exist in separate existences. We exist in this yeah. same existence right now. And uh, even, even though we're on two separate, you know, continents right now, I, you know, I'm in Canada and you're in, you're in the U.S. So yeah. it's, it's like, um, sorry, Ram Dass once said, uh, probably more than once to be honest, but um, he asks people in this uh, lecture to, try to experience a shared awareness because you know mm. there's no such thing as your awareness and my awareness like yeah. you can be aware of something 
and you can acknowledge that that's your awareness, but you're just being aware of it. And the awareness that exists for somebody else is the same awareness of being aware of something as your awareness being aware of it. Yeah. Like it's like the, even if you're not aware of the same thing. Right. Well, but the, the, the sort of the, uh, quality of it is identical the and also the like i love those i i love that idea that the shared the buddha mind is one of the ways i've heard it uh one of the names for it which is we we share we all share a mind yeah and that uh the illusion is that because we end up entangled in our identification with our bodies then the illusion would be that i'm this unique separate individual when and which is no different from uh you know it's like a pro if a radio gained sentience this is how i always think about it. if a radio became sentient then it would wouldn't be that hard for the radio to start thinking it was the beatles you know it might really start thinking that not realizing that it's picking up a frequency and so i think this is sort of the condition of humans is that because we are sharing a consciousness that i don't think is solely a result of having an advanced nervous system, as the uh, some biologists will tell you, neurologists will tell you, um, that it, there's so many, so much confusion that come can come happen to a person, and a lot of isolation and loneliness, and also a lot of magic can happen, you know, because if you start thinking that you are, if you do think you're an individual and you don't share a mind then if suddenly someone starts demonstrating qualities that, that we call telepathy or whatever, then you're going to be like, holy shit, how did you know that about me? There's a whole industry based around it. They're called clairvoyance, mm. you know, and like they, and it's miraculous to us because we don't think we share a consciousness, but from the perspective that we do, what they're doing is really not even that special. It, but just because we're still in a state of like, uh, like uh, we haven't evolved yet to the grand realization that we do share a mind. It's people can do magic tricks still that can, and that could be great if the intention behind it is benevolent, but also people like notoriously use the shared mind to manipulate people. <laughs> Actually, it's really like, that's what's crazy. That's why in like shamanism and magic, you know, there's a distinction between the shaman and the sorcerer. You know, because the shaman is a being that's like you utilizing that connectivity that many people seem to be oblivious to, to heal, whereas a sorcerer uses that connectivity to vampirize others. I don't know why I'm getting like all weird and fucking um, uh, in search of with you here, ancient aliens here. But that is like the shared mind is like the it is the I think one of the most interesting um, areas to explore. You're hitting the topics the on the head, though. I, I'm going to get into aliens later if we have time. Let me ask you about the Midnight Gospel a little bit. Okay. Everybody's into that, right? I love that show. It, it changed my life, Thank and you. it's the reason I'm podcasting now. Great. So thanks for that. Um, and I believe you talked to Pendleton Ward recently, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, not too recently, but I, I talked to him here and there for sure. If you talk to him again, tell him you've got a bunch of people from your community just love the show. Oh, I will let him know, and he'll be happy to hear that. Did you have any, like, say in Clancy's character development? I mean, like, yeah. as, as far as, like, design goes. I know yeah. that Pendleton came up with the bag for, like, cosplayers. Yeah, Pendleton, 
he included me in every step of the way. And, and I like, I tried not to get in his way too much. He's such a generous person creatively, you know, and so talented and such a genius, but yeah, we were, when we're, when you're coming up with character design, especially like the main character, which is one of the biggest parts of the show, a lot of thinking goes into it and a lot of people are involved in it. And so we would, I'm sure I could dig it up somewhere, all the different possibilities for Clancy. There were so many, but Pendleton came up with a hat, the wizard hat and all that. And, um, you know, also like, do we, what color do we make him? Do we make him chartreuse? Do we make him Caucasian? Do we make a, you know what I mean? Like there are all these different colors for him, uh, you know, that we had to pick. I remember it was very exciting that process of narrowing down what we decided would be the best Clancy and all there's all this full theory behind it. And like in the animation world, so much goes into that. I was really blown away by how complex and serious it was, but it had to be, cause that's like the choosing the main actor for a show. I read an article somewhere that said that, um, it, it was, it was acting as if it knew that season two was going to be a thing. Is there any confirmation on season two or can you not talk about that yet? We haven't been canceled yet. You know, like there, we haven't been picked up and we haven't been canceled. So it doesn't, we're in limbo and it's, you know, I, I like, I've let go, I've let go of it. I, you know, because the show is so well received and because we were getting good reviews and rotten tomatoes, we had a high score. My fucking naive ass was like, they'll definitely give us a second season. I bet we'll get it. You know, I don't remember after the New Yorker said something about it, I was like, this is for sure going to be when they're like, do another one. But they didn't, they still haven't asked. And so I found that to be a real, like, wonderful kind of like spiritual workout because I had to disentangle myself from any expectation regarding Midnight Gospel. And I had to learn how to, like, put my consciousness in the glorious fact we got to make the fucking thing. You know what I mean? It like yeah. taught me a lot about my own like greed. Like, you know what I mean? Like what, what? You just think you get a second season of, you don't get that necessarily. That doesn't just how you got to, isn't this enough? Yeah. Like at one point I realized that like, I, that there was a kind of feverish quality to my desire to do another one. And not just because for, uh, for business reasons, which was a part of it, but certainly not the biggest part of it. The biggest part of it was, um, there is another season. Like there's a whole other story that we didn't get to tell yet about the chromatic ribbon and um, and it's in me and it, that and it's a little painful mm. because it's because uh, there's more to it. There's so much more to it and who Clancy is and stuff. But that being said, we haven't been canceled yet and Netflix isn't shy about canceling stuff. Um, you know, so who knows? I don't know. I'm, I'm I just I, it's a, to stay sane. And I have to just keep turning my attention to the fact that we got to make it and that I got to work with Pendleton and Titmouse and we got to make this psychedelic show. And that, that to me is like the bet, the best. And I, I mean that not in like, uh, I'm, I'm talking myself out of disappointment, but literally like, holy shit, I can't believe we got to make the midnight gospel. I'm so lucky, you know? Yeah. Um, I was going to bring this quote up earlier when we were discussing like other, like ex experiencing experienceness but um sharon salzberg 
sorry, I quoted her um, saying something the last time she was on the Love Server Member Foundation. She said, uh, you write the book often because you're exploring the content yourself. So we're going to drift off from Midnight Gospel here. And, but I do want to ask you how maybe that sort of uh, exploration of the Midnight Gospel helped you to sort of um, maybe think of some things to apply to yourself in, in real life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, good God, it taught me how I'm, my listening skills aren't that great because having, you know, making the show, I had to uh, listen to the podcast episodes over and 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 over again. Yeah. And and I began to hear what, like, people like Trudy were saying. And I realized, oh, my God, I, like, it's like, you know, that thing you get into, like, people who take acid all the time, they don't integrate the experience, like people get really into psychedelics but they're real they're into the psychedelic moment but they don't integrate like some of the stuff they learned in that moment into their own lives and and so it taught me that I wasn't integrating data that I was getting from these conversations into my life as much as I as I could ah. um and then also it helped me sort of um I don't want to say I hate the word closure but it like helped me work some stuff out with my mom you know and it helped me like hear that what my mom was saying to me that I didn't hear and wouldn't have heard if not for the midnight gospel because I it was too painful to listen to that episode yeah it, so like you know it was like listening to that really like reconnected me with my mom so that was there's a few things that I, I learned from it um that, that changed my own life for sure just to let you know I ended up watching most of silver on mother's day so that kind of mm -hmm. hit me close to wow. home because I lost my mom Damn. in 09 so Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, cancer, you know? It's a bitch. Um, let me get on to that topic, cancer. Uh, I smoke. I've been saving that for this. I know you have some choice words that you'd probably like to say to me for being a smoker. What? I was addicted. No. Come what, on. What do you think I'm going to... I want to quit. Now, what do you push want, me. What do you think I'm going to... You think push I'm going to attack you into quitting? Push me. Push my uh, buttons. Here's I, I'll tell you. Here's the only button I'll push. The problem with smokers is that they get into their mind that they're going to die from it so that's the fantasy of the smoker is you're going to smoke you're going to feel something weird and you're going to go to the doctor and the doctor is going to be like oh you're dead in a few months and then you're just going to die so it's this fatalistic sort of approach to the addiction but in it is the fantasy of certain death so but really the the just because Tech, the technology in, in treating cancer these days is so advanced, you're probably not going to die. It's just going to be very expensive. It just costs a lot of money. You and 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 it and and it and it and it like it, it ends up eating up like time. So more than likely, what'll happen is you'll get some kind of debilitating, treatable disorder, some lung disease or something or some, you know thing that is just going to go on and on and on and on and your quality of life is going to be reduced by like 20 percent 30 percent you'll still be alive but you'll be kind of sick every day and and it won't stop and they, they and, and because you decided to smoke you'll always have to you'll remember that and then you'll start fantasizing about things you'll think god i wish i could go back in time and tell that version of me that life my life does is worth more than being sick every single day. And then you'll also, your kids, of course, will have a sick dad. 
that they have to deal with. And then you're going to have to deal with your kids, like coming over when you're older and like talking to like a, a making sure you have a nurse and you can't get out of bed as easily. So they probably have to get you out of bed. And the whole thing was preventable. And so, you know, that is the reality of, of it is like if number one, let's look at the what's great about it. Smoking is obviously fucking incredible. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be so disastrous for people. It's wonderful. Don't forget that. It activates your neurons in a certain way. There appears to be some kind of nootropic effect. Like uh, Stephen King said, it was the one thing that helped him write. It also produces a rhythm in your life, you know, and it creates a dark allegiance with people. And then it, it gives you a sense of identity. There's a stylistic way that people smoke. Their, their egos get wrapped up in the way they hold the cigarette, the way you get the cigarette out of the pack, all that. You spend a lot, you develop this whole persona as a smoker. And also you fetishize like what you just did with me. Like you're like, I'm, all, all the dirty bad boy shit in it, you know, like you get this high from being like, what have I done? Oh, what am I doing? That gets you off mm -hmm. in this gross tesque way. And so you end up in this silly game of ping pong with yourself. Uh, and the problem with smoking as opposed to a lot of other drugs is that it just leads to a kind of debilitating, debilitated state. Mm. Uh, and, and, and also the other problem is you, your kids are gonna breathe it too. So you're getting all that karma. Like no matter what, your kids might get a little bit of the cigarette smoke and you're upping the chances they're gonna smoke because they saw their dad smoking too. And so then you're kind of like psychically poisoning your kids. And then I will add to that that you have essentially become a dark missionary for the tobacco company that you are that has you by the balls and so because of that you know what i mean you're like literally like in the you've you've been sort of i guess you could say mounted by a demonic entity that is not just poisoning you and making it so your kids are going to have to come over and make sure you daddy took his pills this week because you're a little out of it because you can't breathe so your blood oxygen is low but also you're going to they're going to smoke and then think of that how old are your kids uh, my oldest is i believe he just turned 9 and my youngest is 7 so okay 9 and 7 so just picture what's the 9 year old's name Vincent so picture Vincent yeah Vincent so picture Vincent when his shit friend is like want to smoke and he's like yeah why not dad does it it must be awesome i love my dad yeah and then well, see, smoking and, the, and like coming home and smell like cigarettes. And now he's addicted. And now picture him stealing your fucking cigarettes. I don't right? know how well that's going to work. The younger one, probably. But the older one, uh, unfortunately, is... Um, let's go with this. Uh, DMD. So the oldest one has muscular dystrophy. So he's uh, probably going to end up in a wheelchair and not going to have many friends. But I can see the younger one ending up being the smoker and taking our habits after his father. Uh, you know, mu muscular dystrophy, I don't think stops people from smoking. You just don't know, man. A lot of people have he's been uh, having trouble with his social life because they want to, uh, oh, this kid's in a wheelchair, let's stay away from him sort of thing. Well, plus, regardless, plus the kid deserves, he deserves a healthy dad. Yeah. And, and that, that, that's the main thing. I mean, my, there's so many things that when I didn't have kids, that I love to do that were so self-destructive. And I was always just like, well, what's going to happen? I'm going to fucking die. So what? Like, 
Go to the fr the catacombs under Paris. Look at all those bones. Nobody knows who they were. No one's going to know who I am after a certain amount. All this fatalism, all this nihilism to like, and I would just, you know, just like not care about hurting my body. But now it's like, shit, man, I got to extend my lifespan as much as I can for my kids. Honestly, I'm not afraid to die. Like the idea of like evaporating into time sounds kind of at the very least uh, exciting. But, um, you know, you got to you got to stay healthy for your kids, my friend. You've become a you know what I mean? You're like a you're like a somebody was telling me like a, the octopus after the octopus has kids, they the kids eat the octopus's body, mm. cannibalize the mother. And that's Become nutrients for the babies, yeah. Yeah, you're nutrients, motherfucker. You need to be healthy nutrients for your babies. Let them destroy you, not the fucking Philip Morris. You know? Yeah. That just stop. You know, you just got to stop. Like, and I'll tell you this: after I had cancer, I remember bumming a cigarette here and there and being like, "What the fuck is wrong with you, man? That's how addictive this shit is." It's so addictive that people who have lung disease still smoke. People on oxygen blow themselves up all the time. One of my friends in high school, his fucking grandfather burnt his house down by because he, he didn't turn the oxygen tank off that he had to have when he was lighting a cigarette. Boof. The point is, like, this is not some little addiction. It's one of the great challengers challenging addictions you're challenged by it. you can quit just stop you just have to stop it this is the thing it sucks it's not it, it sucks it's like you're addicted and it's gonna suck it's gonna suck for about a month it's a shitty month you're looking at one shitty month that's it and don't trick yourself into thinking it's gonna be easy just know the moment you throw away your last pack of cigarettes between you and a world where you're no longer under the spell of a truly demonic corporation a cobble of wizards that that monetize poison in the world there's a shit month it sucks you're gonna be grumpy you're gonna feel weird you're gonna have a million different things happen where you're like this is a perfect time for a cigarette yeah. and you're not gonna do it and then at the end of the third like maybe the third week you're gonna you, you'll suddenly realize you went a whole day and you weren't even thinking about smoking then at the end of the month you'll be like, wow, I don't smoke anymore. And then in the second month, you'll be like, holy shit, man. I've wanted cigarettes, but I haven't had them again. And by six months in, you won't think, I don't think about it at all. I smell them. They smell like shit. You know what I mean? I don't want to be around smoke. I Like, I, the cigarettes, the smoke is horrible. You'll relapse maybe and taste it and be like, ugh, why the fuck yeah. did I ever breathe this shit? And then you'll be free. That's all. A it's 30 days, man. It's 30 days versus like, what, a decade yeah. of slowly degenerating because you have COPD. Slowly, slowly, just slowly degenerating, having to take COPD medication, having a little fucking inhaler that you have to breathe, watching the COPD commercials on TV and thinking, yeah, maybe I'll ask my doctor about that. Because my COP medi COPD medication isn't working. Because I can't breathe as well going upstairs. And yeah, you won't be able to go upstairs. Thoughts of suicide or something like that. Because that's all over those commercials. Yeah. And you won't go be able to go upstairs without stopping in the middle and holding the rail and going. 
and then you'll go back up to the top and you'll be okay but people look at you and be like damn that sucks hope that never happens to me so stop smoking <laughs> there we go <laughs> maybe i will now who knows uh i hope i hope you know I'm who knows try you to. know i've been you know what i would i would watch my hand bring it up to my mouth just do that watch your hand bring the poison to your lips watch the way you inhale the poison watch the way you blow the poison out and just realize like oh wow this is wild man i'm breathing poison and then also just think like this is probably going to make it so i can't go upstairs in a few years mm. you know oh so, yeah that's a good point um that brings me into morality though morals uh do you think that humans sort of like in inherit the the trait of morals or do you think they're like um we're born with like an understanding of what what we're, what we're supposed to do i think we were fun we're fundamentally good but we're not born with morals or i mean good or you know you you have two kids you know what it's like like my top i remember like when Forrest went through a mild slapping phase, like I can remember bringing him milk and he just slapped, he just slapped me, but there was no malice. I mean, I, it was like, you're, I was looking at him and he was looking at me like he was like doing an experiment. Like he was so kind of crazy scientist studying an alien life form and being like, what if I slap it in the face when it brings me food? How does it act? And just realizing, whoa, cool. You're a little scientist and I got to teach you that you can't slap. You know, so I would show him like, here, I, don't do that to the face and then teach him how to like, how to like pet my face. And, mm. and I'd be like, this is nice. And then now sometimes he'll look at me and pet my face and go, nice, nice. And I'm like, yes, that's good. But you know what I'm saying? So it's, I don't think there's some like necessary morality according to culture or according to like how you're supposed to act. I think there's a lot of epigenetic stuff. I think there's a lot of karmic stuff going on there. You know, they are themselves. But uh, I do think humans are fundamentally good. I just think that goodness needs a, um, it, it works really well with a set of sort of principles like that to, that to, to help that goodness, to cultivate that goodness or to cultivate compassion, to cultivate the qualities that we sort of, societally understand to be universally good mm. i was watching um an interview with uh ramdas was talking to tip naharm the monk um at the world forum or the state of the world forum um he talked about or he asked he asked about anger and why it's so important to mm. like sit with and understand it and tip naharm said uh he, you should hold anger like a mother holds a baby and uh, caress it to, just the way you were talking about Forrest, rubbing your face. Mm. So it made me think of that. Um, That's cool. Be tender with it and treat it like, because it, it, the anger is yourself. It's just as, as, as much you as happiness is or, you know. I feel yeah. like it's important to remember that kind of thing is when you're approaching the world and you're in a sort of a distraught state or you're confused about something. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I mean, my, I, I think it's there's a, you know, the older I get, the more I understand adherence to certain non-natural sort of ways of being. Like I can't, I can't, I, I'm too destructive when I'm angry, and I'm too like I, I learned. And this is something my mom, you know, 
towards the end of her life would talk about a regret she had is how good she was at like cutting people. Uh, like she was a psychologist and she was really good at like pushing buttons in a way that could be cruel if she, if she felt angry. And I think I, I picked that up from her a little bit. So I have to be very careful, unfortunately, because like uh, I just too destructive, you know? So I, I really, for me, it's like one of my, I've recognized it as in, in this incarnation, a thing I really have to like, uh, I, there, you know, like in skillful means, Nick Turn, David Nick Turn teaches this. There's ways to work with people. In, in one of them is called including, like including them, mm-hmm. um, accepting, listening. One of them's cutting. It's the very last thing you want to do. It's the very last thing you want to do. For, ferocity, like spiritual ferocity, with the intention of saving somebody. So, in other words, like. If I saw Forrest with pills that he found or something and he was about to eat them, I'm not going to be like, stop, because what if he what if I can't stop him? Right. Probably I'm going to like smack his hand and knock the pills out of his hand. Right. That's ferocity. Last resort. Keep the kid from eating poison. Right. So anger will trick you into being ferocious. It'll trick you into like using force or aggression to solve problems and it never works. It night it's, it generally never works. And the way Nick turn explained ferocity to me was that when the like realized people or whatever you want to call it are ferocious with you, sometimes it's just a whisper. Sometimes it's like a, they'll smile and say the thing that is like the, like completely severs your, um, attachment to some negative state of consciousness, but it's a last resort. Uh, so anyway, I, I think there's a lot to be said for, I think in our culture, people have gotten a little too caught up and well, I was just being honest. I was just saying how I felt. I you know, this is how I feel. This is, it's like, okay, you feel like that right now. Like right now you feel like that, but are you hungry? Are you sleepy? Did you get enough sleep last night? Are you hungry? Have you been drinking enough water? Or is your body in pain? You know what I mean? Because most of the time when someone's being a dick and saying, I'm just telling you how I feel, it's like, yeah, but also you're exhausted. You know, you didn't Exactly. You're telling me how you feel. You feel like shit, so you're talking shit. Right, exactly. And and so for me, it's like, uh, in Buddhism, there's this idea that never, don't, don't like confront someone when you're angry. Don't confront someone when your mind is disturbed and certainly don't confront somebody unless it's a, there's no other choice. If clearly their mind is disturbed, yeah. you know what I mean? Like if you're around someone and they're triggered and they're angry and they're doing their anger defense thing, that isn't, you're not going to have a single chance of being like, Hey, let's just talk this out because they're like, you, why would you have done that? Right. That is no time. They're high. So you can be compassionate and give them a space within which they can rage. And then when they're calmer, then you talk. You know what I mean? And you try not to, their rage is contagious. So then you're, ah, now you're both raging. Useless, yeah. pointless, doesn't do anything. Doesn't, it is not dharmic, doesn't advance anything. You know how long it took me to learn that? I still haven't learned it. But it's like, I do know that the, the, the what I have to do when I'm, well, I'll give you an example, man. Like. 
so I cleaned the laundry room. This is a really boring example. I clean. I thought I cleaned the laundry room, and I thought I found a pile of dirty clothes, and so I put them in a pile on the floor, and so. Erin calls me and she's like, why did you throw all the clothes I folded? Those were forest clothes. I folded them. Why would you throw them on the floor? She's kind of, she's not angry, but she's irritated. And then I was about to go like, hey, I just cleaned the laundry room. Don't call and scold. That's in me, right? But I thought about it. That's the practice. That's I'm telling you, this is no mystical shit for me. But I thought about it for a second and thought... If I had folded Forrest's clothes and was under the impression that Aaron, for some reason, had thrown them onto the floor, I would be, I'd be perplexed and certainly annoyed, you know? So thinking that way, I'm like, hey, listen, I really thought those were dirty and I totally would never have done that if I thought that you'd folded them and thanks for folding his clothes I, I i really am sorry i thought they were folded and then she now see if i'd been what the fuck big that's a now she's gonna get defensive now we're fighting yeah but she says i really appreciate that you cleaned the laundry room and uh i know you didn't mean to do that uh, you know and it was beautiful sweet and all of a sudden it's like whoa this is not the way i'm used to life being you know what i mean this is non-confrontational and sweet and wonderful but it sure as fuck didn't feel natural to my egoic ass you know what i mean navigating the multiverse just like you were talking yes. about before exactly now i'm in a different universe altogether what the fuck is this this is a universe where i was able to like not my ego is still there there are part of me that's like you tell her that you spent so much time cleaning that laundry room and if you threw the clothes on the floor who cares because you clean some self-righteous peep part of me is still there but it gets to sit in the back of the bus until it calms down a little bit maybe that's what tick not han meant uh but i can't i can't live in i can't natural i don't uh, subscribe to like uh that way of thinking which is like i am who i am and it's like well you, actually you're just giving a voice to a part of you that's very aggressive but there's other parts of you that are a little more rational you know, and anytime I'm able to do that, my life exponentially improves. It's not like pushing my emotions down. It's acknowledging like, wait, there's a part of me that's annoyed here. And then realizing, wait, what's really happening? Nine times out of 10, what's really happening is communication difficulty. Right. I think that's a part of the English language, though, is like not just English, but, you know, any language. But, you know, just communication like breaking down even if you're saying exactly what you mean to somebody if they're trying to relay it to somebody else there's information lost there so it's like yeah you're relaying something it doesn't matter you're going to lose information even with yourself even when you're relaying stuff to your own self when you're reading always inf always information distortion and it's like this is why it's great to lean into the concept of fundamental goodness to lean into the concept that whoever you're dealing with actually does want to live in a peaceful harmonious world but the, the maybe their method for live for peace is n not bringing them peace and maybe your way of reacting to people whose method of peace is not bringing them peace is actually not peaceful because that's that's a thing you can really you, you you might realize is that just because you think the way you're acting is the way to act 
why would it be? Why why would it be? Why do you think the way you, you know, many people are really cemented in the way that they deal with. When someone does this, I do that. They're like a fucking computer code or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, why? You don't know. Where did you learn that from? You know, most of the time they learned it from their parents. And it's like their parents were divorced. You know what I mean? It's like that yeah. might not be the way to be with people. Uh, and, and so that's to me thrilling. Anytime I find myself feeling like vulnerable or weak or like, oh, boy, I really stand to boy, Duncan, you're being weak here. That to me is a sign you're probably doing something right. Because anytime I feel like I'm being powerful, usually there's all this aggression attached to it that doesn't get me where I want to be. That's the whole point. It doesn't. If you're if aggression worked to achieve harmony and peace, we would live in the most peaceful world. This would be a world of pure serenity. It doesn't work. Clearly, there's wars and bombs and people attacking each other and, and violence and anger online and this isn't working to achieve harmony so that means that the way to achieve harmony may be to uh, subvert the aggressive impulse to and, and as an experiment try different ways of being to me that's where like ethics within a religious system become very useful uh, like the paramitas yeah speaking of uh, the paramitas so i wanted to address uh gratitude or um no wait is it Generosity. Generosity. Yeah. Dana, right? Um, the first parameter. Yes. Um, I've been speaking with a friend who I'm supposed to interview tomorrow on my podcast. His name is Dave Bushmeyer. So he wrote a couple books. This is one of his books. It's backwards. Cool. But um, we decided that we wanted to get together and send you a copy of this. It's uh, sort okay. of like a meditation guide. Great. But it's accompanied by his artwork, which is really, uh, we mentioned fractals the other day. It's really kind of cool. fractal. And I think you'll enjoy awesome. it. So we'll set that Thank up. Uh, I just okay. wanted to do one more thing to finish up here since you have to go. Sure. I want to read you a poem that I wrote. Just oh, get your thoughts great. On it. Uh, it's, it's sort of uh, based on some of your words that you said. You asked, uh, I mean, it was just a rant on uh, your Crowdcast, but it was, um, you said, this is me making art. This is me not making art. What is that boundary? And sort of who decides yeah. that. So yeah. this is uh, based upon that. It goes, <clears throat> what is art? Who draws that line? Is the person who draws that line an artist? Is that line part of the art? Is it correct to assume that someone is making art? Or is it false to conclude that they are not? Uh, what is and what is not are not what is. But what is can be without you. If you wave your hand, do you leave a trace of where it's been? If you have no vision, does that mean you cannot see? If you proclaim you aren't an artist, does that mean you can't create? Are those words you're speaking, or are they thoughts? Are those thoughts you're thinking, or are they not? What is and what is not is not what isn't. But what isn't can't be without you. It's not what it is... It's not what it's not, but it's important. It is art. It is life. It is it, isn't it? Mm. Sorry, all the it's make it a little confusing, but... No, you know what it, remi it, remind it reminds me of, like, Zen poetry, you know? When you read the... 
like um oh god what's the name of the book i'll have to i'll have to send you the link when i remember the name there's a famous zen poet and that, that's what it reminds me of it's, it's like you know it's good I, I liked it a lot i mean it's the kind of thing where you have to sit you know, you know you reading it to me would not be enough i'd have to sit and and think about it that's a good point thank, thank you. you for reading that to me no problem um i much appreciate you joining me here today my pleasure thank you for having me man i'm this was really fun i you're doing you're really good man your interviews i liked it it was like very natural and wonderful i hope you keep doing it thank you i plan to I, I intend to see where this takes me and maybe we'll get to do it again in the future sometime. Anytime. I, for sure. We'll do it again. I would love to do it again. Awesome. You'll have me back. Thank you very much. And thanks to whoever's watching. Hare Krishna. I'll see you. See you out there. Take care, Duncan. Thank you. Take care, brother. My, uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, Hare Krishna. Hare Bo.